Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. The Mahadukkha Kanda Sutta. This is the greater discourse on dukkha. So this is the greater discourse. This is a long discourse on how suffering plays out in our lives when we do one simple thing. So the Buddha in this Sutta boils it down to one mistake in our thinking, which is our happiness depends on a particular sensory experience or a particular form or a particular feeling. So the lie that we're telling ourselves is that we need to have in order to have lasting peace and happiness, we have to have our form be a particular way, or we have to have our feeling be a particular way, or we have to have a particular sensory experience. And that that sensory experience or that form of that feeling has to stay the way that it was, the way that we need it in order to be happy. So, as Dhamma practitioners, we cultivate the understanding that happiness, lasting peace and happiness is generating a calm mind and cultivating that calm mind so that when we experience pleasurable or painful sensations, we know, we still know that we're at peace and happy. So we're, we're reprogramming our definition of happiness. Okay, so I'm going to read the Buddha's words here. <clears throat> and also I'm going to try to keep my commentary. I don't know if you guys know this, but like the, the human brain only lasts for about 45 minutes and then it just shuts, stops paying attention, even for us concentrated people. So I'm going to try to keep this short, even though it's really long to go. Okay. On one occasion, the Buddha was staying at Savati in Jita's Grove on a Pandika's monastery. Early in the morning, a group of disciples adjusted their robes and carrying their bowls left for Savati for alms. They quickly realized that it was too early for alms and decided to visit a group of wanderers from another sect. They exchanged courteous greetings and sat to one side. The wanderers from the other sect questioned the group from the Buddhist Sangha, friends, go to some other contemplative, describes understanding sensuality as we do. Gautama under describes understanding forms as we do. Gautama describes understanding feelings as we do. 
Friends, what is the difference, the distinguishing factor between his teaching and ours? The Buddhist disciples, neither delighting nor disapproving of these words, decided to seek out their teacher to hear his words. They went for alms and then returned to the Buddha. They bowed to their teacher and sat to one side and told him what the wanderers of the other sect said. The Buddha replied, friends, when wanderers of other sects say this, you should ask them, what is the allure, the drawback, and the release with regard to sensuality? What is the allure, the drawback, and the release with regard to forms? What is the allure, the drawback, and the release with regard to feelings? When asked, these wanderers of other sects will be in trouble and not be able to provide a reasonable answer. This understanding is beyond their knowledge. Friends, in this world of divas, maras, and brahmas, of contemplatives and brahmins, royalty and commoners, I do not see anyone who could answer these questions aside from myself, my disciples, or someone who learned my dhamma from a skillful disciple. <clears throat> so to paraphrase, <clears throat> excuse me, the Buddha is saying you can't just define sensuality and claim to have an understanding of it. It's like, you know, you can't just use the word in a sentence. You have to have, you have to develop a deep, penetrative, internal sense of sensuality form and feelings with regard to self. We experience the arising of sensual feelings. We experience the passing away of sensual feelings. We, ex we, we have a form and the, that form is always changing. We experience feelings. They arise and pass away, but understanding that where we are in orientation to those things is something that requires deep penetrative practice. And so he's getting into some of the nuance here. Now, <clears throat> what is the allure of sensuality? There are five clinging fabrications of sensuality. Forms interpreted by the eyes as agreeable, pleasing, endearing, and enticing. Sounds interpreted by the ears as agreeable, pleasing, endearing, and enticing. Aromas interpreted by the nose as agreeable, pleasing, endearing, and enticing. Flavors interpreted by the tongue as agreeable, pleasing, endearing, and enticing. Tactile sensations interpreted, interpreted by the body as agreeable, pleasing, endearing, and enticing. Friends, whatever pleasure or happiness that one depends on establishing through any of these five senses is the allure of sensuality. So that last little sentence, that last sentence is like the nugget here. Whatever pleasure or happiness that one depends on establishing 
that's the allure of sensuality. So the allure of sensuality is, is hanging your happiness hat on a sensual experience. Mm -hmm. I need to have this sensual experience to be happy. It's not, the problem isn't experiencing pleasant sensations. It's not even wanting to experience a pleasant sensation. It's telling that subtle undercurrent of, I need this sensual experience to be happy or to be at peace. Because we don't. We can experience positive sensual experience and we can watch it pass away and that whole time still be happy and at peace. <clears throat> the allure of sensuality is being distracted by eye making over a future event of sensuality. Now, what is the drawback of sensuality? <clears throat> Here is an example. When one's occupation, whether accounting or plowing, whether trading goods or attending to cattle, whether archer or attending a king, whatever one's occupation, they are subject to changing weather to harassment by insects, to dying from thirst, and the whole mass of suffering. This drawback of sensuality, this mass of stress and suffering that is visible here and now has sensuality as its source and its establishment. Simply put, this is the drawback of sensuality. Now, if a person gains little while striving and making effort, they will be sorrowful and regretful. They will grieve and become distraught. All of my efforts have been useless and fruitless. This is also a drawback of sensuality. This mass of stress and suffering that is visible here and now has sensuality as its source and its establishment. Simply put, the drawback is sensuality. If a person gains wealth while striving and making effort, they will experience distress protecting their wealth. How can I keep my wealth from kings and thieves? How will I protect my wealth from fire or floods? How will I protect my wealth from greedy heirs? Even as they protect their wealth, kings and thieves make off with it, fire and floods destroy it, greedy heirs make off with it, and then they will be sorrowful and regretful. They will grieve and become distraught. What once was mine is gone. This drawback of sensuality, this massive stress and suffering that is visible here and now, has sensuality as its source and its establishment. Simply put, the drawback is sensuality. It is sensuality as the reason, the source, the cause, that kings quarrel with kings, nobles quarrel with nobles, Brahmins with Brahmins, householders with householders, parents with children, children with parents, children with siblings, and friends with friends. When conflicted, they will attack each other with fists or sticks or clubs or knives, and they incur extreme pain or death. Here again is the drawback of sensuality. This mass of stress and suffering that is visible here and now has sensuality at its source and its establishment as its source. Simply put, the drawback is sensuality. It is, and John uses the word preoccupation here in, in parentheses, it is the preoccupation with sensuality as the reason, the source, the cause, that human beings wear armor and use swords, spears, arrows while charging in formation into battle with other human beings. With spears and arrows flying, with swords flashing, they are wounded, their heads cut off, 
ensuring extreme pain and death. Here again is the drawback of sensuality. This massive stress and suffering that is here and now has sensuality as its source and its establishment. Simply put, the drawback is sensuality. Friends, it is with sensuality as the reason, the source, the cause that human beings take what is not theirs, ambush others, commit adultery, and when caught, kings have them tortured for their misdeeds. They're flogged and beaten with gloves. Their hands and feet are cut off, their ears and noses too. They are subjected to many indignities and deprivations. Here again, this is the drawback of sensuality. This massive stress and suffering that is visible here and now has sensuality as its source and its establishment. Simply put, the drawback is sensuality. Friends, it is with sensuality as the reason, the source, the cause that human beings engage in bodily, verbal, and mental misconduct. Having lived the, their lives as such upon death and the breakup of the body, there is only continued deprivation. I'm reading John's words here. This last is significant reference to the Buddhist teaching on karma and rebirth. Unless one resolves ignorance of vulnerable truths, death can offer no release, only deprivation. This is not a reference to a continued personal experience of discarnate individual life after physical death, a common misunderstanding that contradicts the intent and purpose of the Buddhist Dhamma. As taught further on in relation to the continued indignities that occur to a physical form after death, a clear understanding of karma and rebirth shows that the Buddha, Buddhist Dhamma resolves karma and the skillful disciples ceases giving birth to another moment rooted in ignorance. <clears throat> Here again is the drawback of sensuality. This mass of stress and suffering that is now only continued deprivation has sensuality as its source and its establishment. Simply put, the drawback is sensuality. So that was all different ways that this one profound lie plays out. What, what page is that? Let's see, I'm on page, I don't know, page one, figure it out there. <laughs> the drawback of sensuality is being distracted by eye making over a past event of sensuality or of the passing away of sensuality. Pleasant experience occurs if I'm eye making over it. Well, I need to hold on to that pleasant experience. And then you're completely lost and the world is on fire. Like all of these different ways that that plays out, just from that one original lie, which is I need this thing to be happy and at peace. Okay. So what, friends, these words, is the release from sensuality? Finally, the subduing of passion for sensuality, the subduing of craving for sensuality, the abandoning of passion for sensuality, the abandoning of craving for sensuality. This is the release from sensuality. Friends, I say to you, any contemplatives or Brahmins who do not understand sensuality as it truly is, who do not understand the allure as allure, 
who do not understand the drawback as drawback, who do not understand the release from sensuality as release, but only understand sensuality or arouse in others in accordance with what they believe and what they practice. It is impossible for them to understand sensuality as sensuality. So how do we release from sensuality? Notice he says, subdue passion and craving for sensuality. Abandon passion and craving for sensuality. That's understanding sensuality. He's not saying don't have sensuality. He's not saying don't want sensuality. It's just don't hang your happiness hat on it. And you have to practice subduing your passion for it. You have to practice abandoning craving for it. Because what you will notice as you begin to do that is that the, the craving for sensuality is really the underlying sense that I need that, that thing to be happy in it, to survive in the world, to stay safe. But we won't see that lie until we begin to calm our minds. And we won't be able to release that lie until our minds are calm enough. And it's not a lie. John, what do you call it? You don't call it a lie. You call it, it's a piece of fabrication. It's yeah, like, I, yeah. I, it's a fabrication, but I'm sitting here thinking, <laughs> as a fellow Dhamma teacher, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal the big the big lie about sensuality. <laughs> I just feel like lie is hanging like, your hat. Yeah. Just, you're going to hear me saying that all Does a lie have intent, though? Does an ignorant person with misunderstanding have intent to lie? No. Wait a minute, this Wait. is a good interest because for me to maintain ignorance in this moment, it's my intention to. Oh, you're that. saying you, you choose that I understand it so well that this is a lie. This is a lie I know I'm doing because you, but because you understand it, you know it's a lie. But I'm an ignorant person that's not a disciple. I don't my, understand your question. My misunderstanding, am I just ignorant or am I do I have an intention to lie? Oh, well, I don't know. So if, if the if the ignorance fabrication is not rooted in reality, then it is a lie, isn't it? Even though it's not an intentional lie, but it's a the, the fabrication is the mechanism. <clears throat> the intent to fabricate because I'm ignorant leads to a, a false view and a lie about myself that I now am perpetuating first to me. You know, it's it, most important that I. That I fool myself, that I lie to myself. I think in the truth of happiness, I liken this to that we're magicians playing a trick on ourselves when we don't realize. But right. it's still, yeah. it's still <laughs> that's intent. A, a, a trick you have intention. Mm -hmm. So well, before I lie to you, I, I'm not I understand, I think I understand what you're saying, but um my <clears throat> use of the word lie is an an, un, an untruth 
to find telling myself something that's not true. It's ignorance. It's ignorance. It's mm. not like I'm not. We hear. It's delusion. We it, hear yeah. with a little bit of understanding. Mm. Now we're lying if we go back to the lesser pleasures. Yeah. That I believe. Yeah. I, now I see what you're saying. I say that again. Thank yeah. That, now that we under, have some understanding, we're, we're choosing it. Choosing a lot. I got you. The, yeah. The, so then it becomes the the awareness of the fabrication, then then becomes the intention to lie if we maintain it. Yeah. Wow. There's a little bit of an innocence of someone who is in a noble search, mm -hmm. but with a little bit of an understanding, if you decide to continue, then you just lie yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. Which but is a, which is a choice that we often then make. Right. I feel like also though when you understand you have then when you see another person who's telling that lie to themselves, if you really understand that it is like an innocent ignorance, then you have just automatically have compassion for that yeah. person. That's yeah. what I used to tell my mom. I, mean, I didn't know I couldn't have five cookies. But it, <laughs> but it also means that you have to be overly gentle with yourself in this path not to be hard on what early on makes it into failure yes 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 but it's mm -hmm. as you say it's aware of it and that's the, the first step to not not lying anymore mm. Mm -hmm. i gotta say excuse me Sam, this is <laughs> like, it's amazing what's taking place here that they, <laughs> the, the, um, what you and David just discussed, and we're all we all understand it. Matt used to talk to me a while ago about advanced classes, and he understands that there's there there would be nothing advanced, mm. like for only a few of us because we're this is Dhamma practice, yeah, and, but at its at an incredibly penetrating level. Mom, um, you have a question. I just like I I do like. I do like the purity and the clarity of the word of the word lie. I think it has at its base something that's not true. Yeah, that's right. Whether it's whether it's you're on whether it's intentional or not. Mm -hmm. Whether you understand the Dhamma to the point that you know you're lying to yourself and you're still doing it, or whether you're someone who does not understand mm. and you're lying to yourself because you are not practiced mm -hmm. in the Dhamma. But the thing that the fact that the lie isn't is a non-truth. I just think it's, I think it's a good word. It it's a back, simple, it, easy it, word it, to it, understand. It goes back to what Ron, the fine line is what David's talking yeah, about. Yeah, it, it goes back to what Ron taught Tuesday. It's ignoble. Mm. Which is going to put you in a position to be ignorant or lie about what is Stop, but you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. Mm -hmm. You're going to suffer. Right. You're going to suffer. <clears throat> All right. So that's so much for 45 minutes.
Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, so John's words, if one is unable to depersonalize their involvement with the people and events of their life through the Eightfold Path, then understanding the allure, the drawback, and the release from sensuality cannot occur due to continued self-identification with the inherent stress and suffering that follows from clinging to sensuality. Back to the Buddha's words. But friends, I say to you, any contemplatives or Brahmins who do not, who do understand sensuality as it truly is, who understand the allure as allure, who understand the drawback as drawback, who understand the release from sensuality as release, would themselves understand sensuality and rouse understanding in others in accordance with what they believe and what they practice. It is now possible for them to understand sensuality as sensuality. So again, here he is encouraging a profound, nuanced understanding of sensuality. That is, pleasing sensations arise and pass away on their own. Encouraging them to happen, looking forward to them, seeking them out is also a consequence of having a human life. But attaching our happiness and peace to specific pleasing experiences will cause suffering. And that is to be abandoned. Now, friends, what is the allure of form? Suppose a young woman of 15 or 16 years old, neither tall or short, thin or plump, too dark or too pale, is, is this when her charm is greatest? Yes, great teacher. Then it follows that whatever pleasure and happiness that is dependent on her present state is the allure of form. <clears throat> so I think everybody here has been 15 or 16 at one point. And maybe you identified with that form, or maybe you didn't. But it's not having a form that's the problem, or even wanting the form to be different. It's attaching our happiness and peace to a particular form. Needing the form to be a particular way. What is the drawback of form? This very woman, now 80 or 90 or 100 years old, bent, needing a cane, trembling, miserable, gray-haired, perhaps even bald, wrinkled, now ill, in pain, lying in her own filth. Later still, one may see her as a corpse rotting away, bloated and oozing. Later still, one may see her corpse being picked up by crows and vultures, a heap of bones. What do you think? Has her char earlier charm vanished and a drawback appeared? Yes, great teacher. This is the drawback of form. What is the release from form? The subduing of passion for form, the subduing of craving for form, the abandoning of passion for form, the abandoning of craving for form. This is the release from form. So it's the same answer. Don't hang your hat of happiness on needing your form to be a particular way. Friends, I say to you, any contemplatives or Brahmins who do not understand form as it truly is, who do not understand the allure as the allure, who do not understand the drawback as drawback, who do not understand the release from form as release, who can only understand form or rouse in others in accordance with what they believe and what they practice. It is impossible for them to understand form as form. But friends, I say to you, any contemplatives or Brahmins who do understand form as it truly is, who understand the allure as allure, who understand the drawback as drawback, who understand the release from sensuality as release, 
would themselves understand form and rouse in others in accordance with what they believe, what they practice. It is now possible for them to understand form as form. Just to reiterate and paraphrase, attaching our happiness and peace to having this form be any kind of way will cause suffering and is to be abandoned. Now, friends, what is the allure of feelings? When a skillful disciple is secluded from sensuality and unskillful mental qualities, enters and remains in the first jhana, which is the experience of, oh, I forgot to replace structure with contentment, contentment <laughs> and please pleasure arising from that very seclusion <clears throat> and accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. Established in the first jhana, the skillful disciple is free of the affliction of their own craving and the craving of others. They experience feelings free of craving, free of the affliction of craving, is the skillful allure of feelings. Okay, so we're coming to the end here. So just hang in there. So in jhana, we observe feelings. We watch them arise. That's the allure. We watch them pass away. That's the drawback. Feelings that are free of craving and are just arising and passing away on their own. That is what we practice. In Say that again, jhana. if you can, because that is that that's, that's the whole thing, or no, just the last you, sentence. Just the, just what you just described, if you can. I know it's hard to recall your. No, I, I so it's in jhana we observe feelings. We watch them arise. <clears throat> yeah, that's the allure. We watch them pass away. That's the drawback. That's amazing. You described it that. Feelings that are free of craving and are just arising and passing away on their own is what we experience in jhana. So we're not hanging our happiness hat on those feelings. That's why practicing jhana encourages and cultivates lasting peace and happiness. Because we're separated from the feelings, the sensations, the form. Not that it doesn't exist. Not that we're not in our bodies or having a form or having feelings. Just that we're not dependent on those feelings to be any kind of way. We also mean watching our attachment to those feelings arise and pass through. Right. So it's not, you don't, you have a sensual experience. And you can even want the next sensual experience, but you're watching that and you're not hanging your hat on it. That's really guarding your senses. And we get to experience what it feels like to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Enjoy it. Yeah, the direct experience. Because you have to experience it before you can do it. I think. I mean, you. In life, yeah. It's, it's like it. And when you experience it in jhana, the more you do, the more you're able to take it with you. It's like it's like practicing. It's like practicing. It's practicing what it feels like. Muscle, muscle memory. It is. It's yeah. like, yeah. Mindfulness. Mm. Okay, Buddha's words. 
Continuing in meditation, the skillful disciple with the stilling of directed thought and evaluation enters and remains in the second jhana, which is experienced as contentment and pleasure arising from concentration, free from directed thought and evaluation, <clears throat> internal poise and assurance established. Mm -hmm. Here's John's words. Evaluation follows directed thought and provides the skillful method of noticing when distracted by thoughts and feelings and then intentionally directing mindfulness back to the breath and the body. Evaluation is dispassionate and avoids criticism of self or method during jhana practice. Mm -hmm. Continuing in meditation, the skillful disciple with the fading of contentment remains equanimous, mindful, and alert and sensitive to pleasure within the body. They enter and remain in the third genre, which the noble ones declare is equanimous and mindful, pleasant abiding. Continuing in meditation, the skillful disciple with the abandoning of pleasure and pain, they enter and remain in the fourth genre, which is experienced as pure equanimity and mindfulness. Free of evaluation. Now, the skillful disciple is free of the affliction of their own craving and the craving of others. They experience feelings free of craving. Free of the affliction of craving is the only skillful allure of feelings. Now, friends, what is the drawback of feelings? Feelings are impermanent, always subject to change, and so are always stressful when you attach to them. John's words. This is the drawback of feelings. And what is the release from feelings? The subduing of passion for feelings, the subduing of craving for feelings, and the abandoning of passion for feelings, the abandoning of craving for feelings. This is the release from feelings. So again, not hanging your happiness out on feelings. Friends, I say to you, any contemplatives or Brahmins who do not understand feelings as they truly are, who do not understand the allure as the allure, who do not understand the drawback as drawback, who do not understand the release from feelings as release from feelings, who could only understand feelings or arouse in others in accordance with what they believe and what they practice. It is impossible for them to understand feelings as feelings. But friends, I say to you, any contemplatives or Brahmins who do understand feelings as they truly are, who understand the allure as the allure, who understand the drawback as drawback, who understand the release from sensuality as release, would themselves understand feelings and rouse in others in accordance with what they believe and what they practice. It is now possible for them to understand feelings as feelings. This is what the Buddha said and those in attendance were gratified and delighted at these words. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think we can, it, it's so helpful. And in this sutta, we can miss an important piece, which is that the Buddha is teaching this to other teachers of the Dhamma and saying, you need to understand the allure, the drawback and the release. You need to understand, have a deep understanding of sensuality, form, and feelings, and getting attached to them and what that means before you can 
explain that or help others understand that. Um, and then I have this little part that I wrote in. I'm not sure. If I'm going to read. So pleasing sensations have a form. Oh, okay. So pleasing sensations or having a form, even wanting a particular form, having feelings, these are all part of human experience. It's when we tell ourselves we need a certain sensation to be happy and at peace, or a certain form to be happy and at peace, or a certain feeling to be happy and at peace. That's when we suffer because obviously those things are impermanent. We become distracted by having the experience of a particular form or feeling or sensation and then become obsessed with maintaining that form, feeling, or sensation. And this keeps us in the feedback loop of suffering. So let's go around the room. The Zoom room. Teacher Brian. Good morning, my friend. Thank you for this. Um, Cliff Notes version, three marks of existence. The uh, the misunderstanding of an ego personality imputing value on impermanent objects, sensations, or whatever can only lead to stress. And then this, this is such a wonderful suit that, that drills into the detail of what that looks like and how that manifests. So thank you. Thanks, Brian. <clears throat> Dr. Kevin, good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Dan. That's great. Um, really good interpretation of all this. And then I guess following off Brian, um, this is the explanation of uh, what stress looks like. And then the answer to it is <laughs> to the second noble truth is that craving leads to all this. And he alludes to, or, you know, says craving several times that we have to recognize this craving and then reduce, reduce ourselves from the craving. So that's where it's at too. So for me, thank you. Thank you. Anthony. Good morning. Great job, Jen. Thank you. Um, I, I really enjoyed how the Buddha engaged in this weighing process because he says, when he says, what's the allure and what's the drawback, he's really saying, what are you getting out of holding on to that thought and, or feeling and feeling? And then the answer is, well, stress, pain, and disappointment because of impermanent. <laughs> and then, he, and then, he, then when he says, what's the drawback, he's really saying, what are you not getting out of holding on to that thought? which is peace and equanimity, yeah. as he says, equanimity and mindfulness. And so the deck is kind of stacked because when you, but he does it in a rational way. It almost kind of reminds me of cognitive behavioral therapy because we do that with people. We go, okay, when somebody's really in this loop about a thought, I'll mm -hmm. say like, what are you getting out of holding on to that? Yeah. What are you not getting out of it? And yeah. it's, it's a very clever thing. And I actually think the, the psychology world stole from the Buddha. Oh, for sure. <laughs> in many ways, not just in this way, but but yeah. in many ways. And it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Buddha teaches us how to use our minds. Yeah. 
So, uh, oh, sorry, but, Anthony, continue. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I just wanted to thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for joining us. I'm so glad to see you. Me too. Slav, morning. Thank you very much, Jen. It was so amazing. Uh, uh, even this a long time ago, Buddha tried to teach other teachers. Uh, be, and it's reason behind, because even nowadays, sometimes uh, we are too uh, wrong interpreter uh, Dharma teaching. And so basically, uh, when we fabricate something, we create suffering. And opposite, we try to uh, culminate something. But if you not communicate mindfulness and equanimity, you create suffering. Yes. And if you look in some modern school of Buddhism, even not uh, uh, modern school of Buddhism, now it's very popular, a uh, whole mindfulness teaching mm -hmm. bring yeah. the company that just grab it from, uh, from all uh, eight paths. Buddha teach simple way. It's kind of like middle way. Yes, it's very friendly, uh, sensitive. You were able to slip one way or the direction, but middle way is means uh, equanimity and mindfulness. Thank you, Chen. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Lau. Thanks, Lau. Jeff. <clears throat> Thanks, Jen. It's great teaching. Really good. Uh, <clears throat> very timely for me, I think. Uh, Maybe you can help me understand it, uh, my own struggle with um, it, it's it's not to sensuality in the pleasant sense, but aversion to uh, sensuality in um, painful or less than pleasant circumstances. It's really the same allure in a sense. Um, but it's difficult to maintain that mindfulness of that for me. So, so what I'm hearing is that you are averse to painful experience. Yeah, I'm undergoing a lot of therapies that, sure. you know, that things no, change constantly, which really uh, intrudes on any kind of calm and equanimity. Right. So you're bracing yourself for the next painful experience. Even though I, even though I can say that is um, not a mindful approach to that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's what's happening. So um, you, the, the problem is not wanting a particular sensory experience or it's not, not wanting it that's not the problem the problem isn't anticipating the problem is i'm only going to be happy if i'm not in pain i'm only going to be at peace if i'm not in pain that's the problem so you don't have to not want to be in pain just have to see that you can still be happy and at peace even if you don't want the pain. Yeah, that that is that is a component of that. Um, 
the instability, I think, is likewise a part of it. Yeah, the, so uncert that's uncertainty, which is an, which is an hindrance. Yeah, and the hindrance will distract you. Un uncertainty, not knowing when the next painful event is going to occur, in in and of itself is inherently distracting. So it will distract you. Then again, the only way to the salve for distraction mm -hmm. is jhana. Yeah, that's yeah. It's I'm sorry you're going through that, Jeff. It's not easy. Uh, it it it's just it's all part of it. Yeah. Um so I'm not mm -hmm. sad about it. I'm just okay. experiencing it. Yeah. Um and, and just trying to trying to uh understand it as I experience it. Well, yeah, I mean I think you are doing great. I think so. I'd be doing great no matter what. So <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jeff. Nina. Hi. Hi, everybody. Um, you know, this suit is really interesting because I am an occupational therapist for my work and I work with children and the theoretical basis that I use in most of my therapy is sensory integration therapy. Mm -hmm. So when I talk to parents about their children, I'm really using this language about sensation seeking and sensation avoiding, and then all of the compensations that these children are doing to make themselves feel a certain way. Um, so I feel like I teach this sutta like every day at work. <laughs> so it's like everything made complete sense to me. It's really interesting. It's got a strong neurological basis. Right, it, you know? right. And so like, again, understanding that we will seek sensations and we will avoid sensations is just part of uh, being a human being. Yeah, and be, you know, like a lot of times with my um, clients I'm teaching them to be, to feel okay in the discomfort. Yeah. Right. And not try to chase a feeling or run away from a feeling in order to be okay. Only because chasing is what causes the stress. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a little bit heady for them. Which but you yeah. never tell them, but right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> they don't somehow that, part. I mean, somehow yeah. that takes it one step further, which I have not used in my practice. But that might be something interesting to think about how to communicate that to like a four year old or five year old. Yeah. Are you are you mindful of this aspect of your Dhamma practice as it's arising in your professional work? I, I feel like I haven't bridged that gap, but with this sutta, it really um I mean it really runs parallel to what I do. So it would be an interesting exercise for myself to be more aware of that. Because obviously we've all been personally, I mean, I've chased sensations, I've made radical choices in my life, chasing sensations, trying to get away from sensations, but this is a whole nother way of looking at it. Great to see that too. Yeah. All right. Let's go around this room. Rom, you're first on the camera. Well, <clears throat> um, wonderful teaching. Thank you. Um, I was struck by the 
the contrast between this sutta and the previous teaching by Sariputta, um, where Sariputta is teaching raw novices, and he's just given them the the, the bare bones. He mm -hmm. says you know, it's the wishing that's the issue here. Mm -hmm. That's uh, look at that just now, and. <clears throat> Then here Buddha comes in and really yeah. takes the whole thing apart mm -hmm. and down to the to the, the molecular <laughs> thing, basically. Um, and <clears throat> at the same time, you know, brings in the first noble truth, the second noble truth, and the third mm -hmm. noble truth. Um, it's just a very, very deep teaching and then and uh, is, is teaching to teachers. Mm -hmm. He sends his, his bhikkhus out to teach this to mm -hmm. others. So it's, it's, it's nice to see how, even in, again, in, 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 the, in the first sangha, how, how, this, how the teaching evolved. Mm -hmm. or, uh, there were different levels of, of teaching, mm -hmm. depending on what you want to do. Thanks, Mom. John, you're next. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, I think I really do. I, I, I'm just stunned by the teaching and I'm stunned by the conversation during the teaching. Um, I don't know what else to say, John. I think that was the clearest and most insightful and inspiring teaching on this sutta or on Dukkha. That I've ever heard. I think the Sangha it was really just I I can't I can't I can't I'm just inspired by by your teaching today. It takes a lot to get this old goat inspired by anything. So thank Thanks, you. Thanks, drop the mic and go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. you know, and then I, I gotta say, and I'm always struck by your mom. Oh, just yeah. just your presence way, together yeah. and your your silent communication between each other mm -hmm. but also how proud she is of you and you are yeah thank you this silent communication has good good there's good things about it it's something look at times what was it i just thought of that when i read that part of the where it said my, you know it'll release you from your craving and other people's craving yeah <laughs> and vice versa <laughs> so we suffer on top of each other meta yes. meta craving yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's definitely a cord that binds um <laughs> well i've totally forgot everything i was going to say now no <clears throat> i just it really, really helped me for you to say, for you to explain it in the way that you have to want something to be some sort of way and convince yourself that you can't be happy unless it's that way. Mm. Yeah. So don't hang your hat. <clears throat> and that... Um, that really brought it down to earth for me. 
because it's a very, it's a simple, it's, it's something that you do. I do. I mean, I'm sure we all do throughout the day. This has to be this. Mm -hmm. And then you, when you are, your practice is going, for me, when my practice is going well, and I'm how my effort is good. I can go through a lot of my day with another word that you used, internal police, mm. where you are really sort of not doing mm. it's just so as such a night and day difference. Mm -hmm. But um it really requires a great, it, you have to, it requires great right effort. Right. And <clears throat> it's not possible to do it if you think you can do it without right effort. Mm. And sometimes I do. <laughs> and it, it doesn't work. <laughs> and it's really, really, uh, you can really get yourself to it. A situation that's not good. <laughs> if you if you just think, oh, I know it. I can. I I've got this. I yeah. can make that thing be forever. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's definitely the path to happiness. Yeah. Yes. A new kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I gotta say one more thing. I'm never gonna look at my hat rack the same again. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Thank you, Jen. Uh, hi, Laurel. <laughs> wow. I'm really happy to be here this morning. Um, and this sutta is, well, they, they're always so timely, you know, they're always so helpful no matter what, you know, sutta we're covering. But this one, especially, because last night I was trying to study and then it ended up being a failed study session because my mind was just replaying sensual experience and I was not able to concentrate. I was not able to say anything. I went to bed so frustrated and angry. And then I came here this morning and at first I was confused. I was like, well what does it mean? I understand the allure as allure and drawback is drawback and release as release. But then when you so beautifully and clearly tied it back to the four foundations of mindfulness mm. and what we do it just made it so much more I don't want to say manageable for me but it just made it so much more easy for me to understand and get accessible yeah and get back to what does that mean understanding the world that means understanding the arising but just like we do every jhana meditation ses session you know arising feelings thoughts perceptions then the drawback that's the Mm. passing away yes. you know, and then that can be painful but your talk this morning was so helpful because it I was in such a state last night of like this digressive circuitous thinking and then that interrupts like you explained so beautifully how to interrupt that yes mm -hmm. and whether it's you know a pleasurable experience or like Jeff was saying like a strong state of aversion mm -hmm. it helps you know it's applicable either way so, yeah it's so helpful oh good so glad i got here this morning nice <laughs> nice 
Oh, yeah, All right. Thank you, Rom. Mary. Well, it was so beautiful. Um, you really do speak in um in a very special way, like your ability to, you know, like you have, uh, you have a passion and an articulate way of making the Dhamma so practical. Aww. So it really meant so much to me. Um, I feel like this, you know, it, it, as the Dhamma, it meets you where you are, but it almost feels like this could be uh, preparation for life. You know, follow this, do this, don't do that, yeah. and um, go out and just live your happy life. Mm -hmm. You know, that um, as Laura was saying, the simplicity of the advice is really clear. And I think when Nina was talking about talking to children, I always believe if you think about children can understand and believe in things they can't see. Mm. right so they have a deep ability to understand even something that might feel sophisticated right like this but they can understand you know you teach children about their faith at an early age you teach them about fairies and other things you know they can believe mm. um so i you know, i would look forward to hearing more about nina's journey with this sutta and her occupation um, but I just think that this, if you could be rather learning, rather than learning this later in life, if you could teach it to younger people, it's mm -hmm. preparation. Yeah. Really. Sure. Is. So thank mm -hmm. you. Because that clinging, craving start, starts early. As yeah, you seen. could just skip that whole part mm -hmm. in life. That would be as we've seen, thanks to Nina, it just, just, just happens when you're four or five. Mm -hmm. Even? with Nina <clears throat> she recognizes something but without the context of the entire April path yeah it's like the little glimpses of understanding and then falling back into illusion and what Lori even described is connecting it to the mindfulness that the whole purpose of child meditation is, is that you're developing this refined mindfulness. So therefore you can see those moments. And it's be interesting how Nina can develop it a little further with her dhamma practice without being so overt. Mm. How, they, how she subtly introduced yeah mindfulness so we can these children can recognize it and see it and then know it's incredible mm. know it's incredible mm. and you know that'd be very interesting mm. also can i say one more thing now david of course. you're just so uh and, and laura said it too and we're all saying it in, in slightly different ways when it comes down to being well concentrated in John, in this moment, it allows us to do what Laura described. That in this moment, I'm concentrating enough to know that I'm that I might have moved into a fabrication, and now I'm not. And it's all rooted in John. Mm -hmm. It's all rooted in 
What are you going to hang your hat on? I just love it. Yeah, and all like no recognizing that whatever is occurring in the mind is what is occurring in the mind. And not needing it to be different, but needing to, I mean, we need to see where we're at. You know, for like the your example, Laura, is was perfect in that you saw how your mind was busy. Your busy mind bouncing around and going going in your monkey mind, going in loops, whatever. But you didn't actually need that to be different. You just needed to recognize that that's where it was. And by by recognizing where it was, you would have been able to orient to what you needed to do next. Oh, my mind is this busy. What do I, what should I do? What, how can I, you know, what do I need or what, what is just yeah. cultivate some calm. Now I don't need it to change. I just have to know where it is because I can't change it. I can't change it. I can only with the knowing will anyway. know where it is. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, the change is the interruption. That's it. It's not anything else. We're not we're not interrupting this moment so I can fabricate the next moment. Mm -hmm. yes. What a, I'm just really I'm, you inspire such an incredible class. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, and even I I think everyone else would say that that, that what Mary just said was so inspiring, but inspired by this class with Becky. And you were just saying the same thing. It's mm -hmm. right here, right now. Yeah, I think I heard you say before you go to bed or something, you laughed at that, but when you were referring to you recognize that your mind was distracted in that moment. Hey, uh, what else I'm thinking about is there's groups all over that are meeting on different things, and that's great. But we're talking about how to stop it, you know, how to. And yes. interrupt ignorance and do something mm -hmm. about this. Mm -hmm. Most the most pernicious disease in, in humanity is ignorance, mm -hmm. isn't it? And we're describing this simple. I'm sorry, I'm over. I, I don't mean to give a speech. No. And you're it was just such an inspiring class. Thank yeah. you, John. Okay. And I'll shut up. Oh, <laughs> I'll try. I mean. We did good. It's not even 10 o'clock yet. So I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna we're gonna don't hang your hat on that. Read. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, that's gonna be a thing. Yeah. Um, or nowhere in your Karaniya Metasutta. So find your relaxed meditation posture. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward, and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later repeat. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, seen and the unseen. 
those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the sky, then downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again to this world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Jen. <clears throat> Bye. Thank you. So. Great. great. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Have a Bye. great day. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.